Thanks for joining me today, friends. We just finished up the fourth book of Nephi, and wasn't it just so amazing? Mormon is truly incredible. He is so amazing, and I'm going to be talking a little bit more about Mormon today. So now we are at the Book of Mormon, not the Book of Mormon, the whole book, the whole testament of Jesus Christ. We are actually reading on the Book of Mormon inside the Book of Mormon, if that makes any sense to you. Um, this talks about Amaron and how he instructs Mormon concerning the sacred records. War commences between the Nephites and Lamanites, and the three witnesses are taken away. Wickedness, unbelief, sorceries, and witchcraft prevail. Okay, you guys, so I'm going to start out in verse 1. And now I, Mormon, make a record of the things which I have both seen and heard, and call it the Book of Mormon. So a lot of people have wondered why we call our, have called ourselves Mormons in the past. And for some reason, that name Mormon just stuck with people. The Book of Mormon, they just started calling us Mormons from way, way, way back when, um, way back when um, Joseph Smith first re received this revelation. Um that name was just taken and used for over 200 years now. But it's as of recently, we have been trying to, to use the name of the church because it's Christ church. And as we just left, left, as we just read in the previous chapter, it's very important for Jesus Christ to have the name, his name in his church. This isn't Mormon's church. Mormon was an amazing man, but this is not Mormon's church. Mormon aided in a very vital part in getting us this ancient record, but it is not Mormon's church. It is not Joseph Smith's church. It is Jesus Christ's church, and that is what we're trying to spread to the world, that we are from the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It bears his name. So I'm going to start in, this happens about 321 um, AD to 326 AD. And Mormon goes on to say, and now I, Mormon, make a record of the things which I have both seen and heard and call it the Book of Mormon. And about the time that Amaron hid up the records unto the Lord, he came unto me. Okay, so Amaron had been advised to go and take up all the records that had been given to or that had been kept and take all of the records and go hide them up in the earth. So in verse two, we're talking about that. Amaron hid up the records unto the Lord. He came unto me, I being about 10 years of age, and I began to be learned somewhat after the manner of the learning of my people. And Amaron said unto me, I perceive that thou art a sober child and art quick to observe. So right when he, he had been watching Mormon and he said, you know what? I noticed that you are a very inspired child. You are quick to observe and intuitive is what I think he, 
he recognized in him. He says, therefore, when thou art about 20 and four years old, I would that ye should remember the things that ye have observed concerning this people. And when ye are of that age, go to the land Antum, unto the hill which shall be called Shim, and there have I deposited unto the Lord all the sacred engravings concerning this people. So he says, Mormon, I understand you are a very, in essence, a very prepared child. And I want you, when you turn 24 years old, to go to the um, hill that's called Shim. And there I have put all of these records kept from way back when concerning this people and behold you shall take the plates of Nephi unto yourself and the remainder shall ye leave in the place where they are and ye shall engrave it on the plates of Nephi all the things that ye have observed concerning this people so he wanted him to record it and write it down everything that you have seen happening with this people and you know what I have wondered You know, I've been a terrible journal keeper. Awful. Awful. I think I've written probably like, oh, it's so sad. Five journal entries in the last 20 years of my kids' lives. So that I think I will always feel really sad about, that I just was not a journal keeper. But in essence, maybe this podcast will actually outlast me. And maybe my kids can get on here and they can hear me speak because really, this is the most important thing that matters to me that my kids will ever hear. Yes, I can help like through my journaling, I can help you in depth understand my personal spiritual revelations that I have had throughout my life. I think that's important. I think um, the history of the people is important, but, you know, the day-to-day drama, to me, that's not important. The most important thing is that my children know where to turn when things get really, really hard. I want them to know to turn to God and you can get through anything. If you turn to him, you can get through anything. So... Why did I go off on that tangent? Anyways, he tells, um, Ant, what is his name again? Antion? No, Amaron tells Mormon, I know you're 10. When you're 24, I want you to go to this hill called Shim. I want you to collect the records of Nephi, leave everything else there. And ye shall engraven on the plates of Nephi all the things that ye have observed concerning the people. I want you to record everything. And I, Mormon, being a descendant of Nephi, and my father's name was Mormon, I remembered the things which Amaron commanded me. And it came to pass that I, being 11 years old, was carried by my father into the land southward, even to the land of Zarahemla. What's interesting to me is that I believe Mormon was being prepared. Obviously, Mormon was being prepared. 
The Lord prepared Mormon from the time he was 10 years old until he was 24, anticipating this amazing thing that he was to go do, which was to go to Shem and uncover the Nephite plates and the history of their people and to take it with him and to continue to add all of the things that you have seen. And I, Mormon, being a descendant of Nephi, I already read that. Um, he remembered the things Amaron told him to do and commanded him to do. So um, Mormon's father took them to the land, took him to the land of Zarahemla. And the whole face of the land had become covered with buildings. And the people were as numerous almost as it, almost as it was the sands of the sea. And it came to pass that this year there began to be war between the Nephites, which consisted of the Nephites and the Jacobites and the Josephites and the Zoramites. And the war was between the Nephites and the Lamanites and the Lemuelites and the Ishmaelites. This is the same group. These two groups of people have been battling for so long. Of course, they go back and forth in and out of wickedness in and out of um, civility. So here they go again. War between the Nephites and the Lamanites. Now the Lamanites had the Lemuelites and the Ishmaelites were called Lamanites. So those two, the Lemuelites, who was named after Lemuel, Lehi's, one of Lehi's oldest sons, dating back to 600 years before Christ, this was his posterity, okay? And then the Ishmaelites, remember way back in the beginning of the Book of Mormon when Lehi was commanded by the Lord to go and to um, go to Ishmael's house and he had some daughters and he was commanded by the Lord that they should plead with them to come with them in the wilderness that they may have wives, so that's what happened. So those are the Ishmaelites. That is still a break off and a bloodline from them. And then there was the Lamanites, of course. Laman being the oldest son of Lehi, um, dating 600 years before Christ. And the two parties were the Nephites and the Lamanites. And Nephi, let me remind you, was the eldest son. Actually, I can't remember who was the oldest. I think it was Laman. But Nephi was... Um, commanded to be a teacher over his brothers. And that was never taken well, never taken well. And, and Nephi and Sam and his other siblings that followed Nephi were considered Nephites. Okay. So that kind of gives you a little background on the two groups. If we had forgotten that. Number 10, and it came to pass that the war began to be among them in the borders of Zarahemla by the waters of Sidon. And it came to pass that the Nephites had gathered together a great number of men, even to exceed the number of 30,000. And it came to pass that they did have in this same year a number of battles in which the Nephites did beat the Lamanites and did slay many of them. And it came to pass that the Lamanites withdrew their design and there was peace settled in the land for um, a peace did remain for the space of about four years. Interesting that 
how Satan can get get in the hearts of the children of men so profoundly and fiercely to cause them to hate each other so much that they want to go to war with one another. Yet then peace comes in. And it remained that way for four years, that there was no bloodshed. In 13, but wickedness did prevail upon the face of the whole land, insomuch that the Lord did take away his beloved disciples. Remember the three Nephites. The three Nephites were the ones who did not want a taste of death. They wanted to remain on the earth when Jesus Christ was um, assembling his disciples He asked them what they wanted to do. And these three disciples said they wanted to stay on the earth until the second coming of Christ. And that's what they did. But it was so wicked at this moment of time that the Lord removed them. And where he put them, I do not know. Um, The Lord did take away his beloved disciples. And the work of miracles and of healing did cease because of the iniquity of the people. So maybe he took away all the disciples and just moved them somewhere. I don't know. And there were no gifts from the Lord. And the Holy Ghost did not come upon any because of their wickedness and unbelief. How sad. This is like, this is like the dark ages all over again. Okay. There was no spirit. There was no... Um, There was no spirit and there were no gifts of the spirit. If you're not um, familiar with the gifts of the spirit, I would suggest um, looking that up and studying about the gifts of the spirit because each of us have come down here to earth with the light of Christ within us. We were granted that special gift to have the light of Christ And being God, sons and daughters, we had the right, being God's sons and daughters, he gave us gifts. And so if you don't know a lot about those, do research about those. And maybe ask um, your closest friends, you know, what they see in you and your spiritual gifts. Because I guarantee that they will recognize within you these heavenly spiritual gifts that have been given to us. So at that time, because of the wickedness, there were no gifts and there was no Holy Ghost um, that came upon the people because of their wickedness and unbelief. And in 15, and I being 15 years old of age, 15 years of age, and being somewhat of a, of a somber mind, therefore I was visited of the Lord and tasted and knew of the goodness of Jesus. Wow. Oh, so Mormon was 15 years old. Five years after Amaron told him to prepare, he was visited by Jesus. And in 16, I did endeavor to preach unto this people, but my mouth was shut. And I was forbidden that I should preach unto them, for behold, they had willfully rebelled against their God, and beloved disciples were taken away out of the land because of their iniquity. This is so interesting. I mean, I don't know why, but this just came to mind. 
that when COVID hit, all of the missionaries from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from all over the entire world that missionaries can can go to, all, all of these countries had a mass um, departure of all foreign missionaries. So um, if you talk to some of the mothers who had their kids in Brazil, I don't know. I've just talked to the mothers who had their kids in Brazil, but it was a challenge to get their kids out. When COVID hit, um, this was just a massive undertaking that all of the missionaries in all of the world were sent home. Um, and this just came to my mind just right now, how when he says he, he tried to preach, but his mouth was shut and he was forbidden that he should preach because the people had willfully rebelled against their God. And the beloved disciples were taken out of the land. Just reminds me of the missionaries. They were taken out of the land. And that makes me wonder. I know they were taken out because of COVID. And that has a bunch of different uh, theories. I mean... A bunch of different people think very different, differently about this COVID. But I don't know. Looking at an eternal perspective, maybe the world wasn't ready. And the world was in a state of wickedness that maybe the people weren't prepared to be fed spiritually. I don't know. Just a thought. Obviously, I don't know everything in here, but um, I'll just speak from my heart and my thoughts. Okay, so 17, but I did remain among them, but I was forbidden to preach unto them because of the hardness of their hearts. And because of the hardness of their hearts, the land was cursed for their sake. Because of the wickedness, the land was cursed. How sad. There was no spirit of God. If you take the spirit of God away, do you have happiness? It's a good question. And in 18, and these Gadiant robbers who were among the Lamanites did infest the land and so much that the inhabitants thereof began to hide up their treasures in the earth. Oh boy. So here comes the robbers, the Gadiant robbers. I'm going to call them an Antifa. Okay. So here come Antifa, and they are infesting the land. So people begin to be very, very concerned. And they hide up their treasures in the earth. But their treasures become slippery because the Lord had cursed the land that they could not hold them nor retain them again. So they lost everything they had. They lost all of their temporary riches. And it came to pass that there were sorceries and witchcrafts and magic. And the power of the evil one was wrought upon all the face of the land, even unto the fulfilling of all the words of Abinadi and also Samuel the Lamanite. Do you guys remember Abinadi? 
Abinadi who died death by fire. And do you remember Samuel the Lamanite? Um, who stood upon the wall and warned the people. Told them to prepare for the signs of Christ's birth and Christ's death. He gave those signs. Okay, so you guys, I'm going to leave you with that. It amazes me that Mormon, being in the state that he was, 15 years old, thank goodness the Lord prevented him from speaking. Because just think of how much persecution and anger and strife and possibly bodily harm that could have happened to him because he was a righteous young man, but the Lord spared him that and he was able to still live among them, but just in silence. Okay, you guys, I am going to end there and I'll be back with chapter two. Welcome back, friends. This is the second chapter in the Book of Mormon that I'm going to be talking about today. This is the Book of Mormon inside the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ. And if you have a Book of Mormon in front of you, it is on page 471, actually 470. And Mormon has just given us a good description of what was going on at that time. The Gadianton robbers had taken over all of the land and it had become so wicked that Mormon was um, prompted to withhold his tongue and not speak to the people. And the disciples of Jesus Christ were taken out of the land because of um, the wickedness that was in the land. So that's what we have read about on um, the first chapter. Now, this is the second chapter. Mormon leads the Nephite armies. Okay, Mormon is absolutely incredible. Here he was, a 10-year-old boy. Amaron prepares him, tells him that he feels that he is an insightful child and that he needs to prepare when he gets to be the age of 24 to go get the Nephite records that are hidden in the hill Shim. So when he is 24, he goes there, he gets the Nephite plates, just as Amaron had prepared him, and he continues to write the history of his people. This is what we're reading. We are reading the second chapter of the Book of Mormon inside the Book of Mormon. And this happens about 327 through 50 AD. So I'm going to go ahead and start. It came to pass that in the same year there began to be war again between the Nephites and the Lamanites. And notwithstanding, I being young, I was large in stature. Therefore, the people of Nephi appointed me that I should be their leader or the leader of the armies. Wow. Okay, you guys, I almost, I was just so shocked when I read how many people, how many men were in the Nephite army. 42,000 men. 
42,000 men, warriors, strong men, were wanting Mormon to lead the Nephite army. What would make them choose a 16-year-old boy to lead their army? Just sit on that one for a minute because... I'm thinking, you know, he mentions here that he was 16 years old and he was large in stature. How large was he? <laughs> That's what I want to know. How large was Mormon? Because in order to get that much um, notoriety among the Nephites and to be appointed as their leader, he would have to stand out as a 16-year-old among grown men. So just amazing to think about that. Okay. So they appoint him to be their leader um, against the Lamanites. Therefore, 320 and six years had, had passed away since the coming of Christ. Okay. Since he appeared to the people on the American continent and set up his church, it had been 300 and 20 and six years that had passed away. And it came to pass that in the 320 and seventh year, the Lamanites did come upon us with exceeding great power insomuch that they did frighten my armies. Therefore they would not fight and they began to retreat toward the North countries. So here came the Lamanites. They had more numbers than the Nephites, not much, but they had enough they had more numbers and they were intimidated. So they chased them out of the North countries. And it came to pass that we did come to the city of Angola and we did take possession of the city and make preparations to defend ourselves against the Lamanites. So they quickly took over the city of um, Angola, defending themselves against the Lamanites. And it came to pass that we did fortify the city with our might, but notwithstanding all of our fortifications, the Lamanites did come upon us and did drive us out of the city. Okay, so they tried to, they took over the city, they tried to barricade it, they tried to make it as safe as it possibly could be safe. But notwithstanding all of these preparations, the Lamanites still came upon them and drove them out of the city. And they did also drive us forth out of the land of David, and we marched forth and came to the land of Joshua, which was in the borders west by the seashore. And it came to pass that we did gather in our people as fast as it were possible that we might get them together in one body. So it looked like they were running from city to city and um, maybe not ready at that moment to be able to face them head on. And to have a mighty battle yet, they were trying to get away from them. And, and uh, Mormon was trying to gather his men into one body so that they could all be together. But behold, the land was filled with robbers and with Lamanites, and notwithstanding the great destruction which hung over my people, they did not repent of their evil doings. Therefore, there was blood and carnage spread throughout all the face of the land, both on the part of the Nephites and also the part of the Lamanites. And it was one complete revolution throughout all the face of the land. Can you imagine this happening? 
Wow. And now the Lamanites and the king, and his name was Aaron. So he was king of the Lamanites. And he came against us with an army of 40 and 4,000 men. So 2,000 more than Mormon had. And behold, I withstood him with 40 and 2,000. And it came to pass that I beat him with my army that he fled before me. And behold, all this was done and 330 years had passed away. And it came to pass that the Nephites began to repent of their iniquity and began to cry even as had been prophesied by Samuel the prophet. For behold, no man could keep that which was his own for the thieves and the robbers and the murderers and the magic art and the witchcraft which was in the land. Wow. You know, I've been kind of living my life feeling like, you know, there's no magic art and a witchcraft. But as of lately, I've seen more of that pop up. Actually, it's really, really interesting. Um, in the last four or five days, I go on Facebook all the time. And I have been on the marketplace, which I always go on marketplace just to look for furniture, see what I can do to, you know, add a piece here and there to my house. And I've noticed Ouija boards and weird... Um, just weird things on there and a lot of like murders murder mysteries um just tons of things that kind of pull you in that direction of um magic art and witchcraft it's out there i don't invite it into my life but it's out there um, thus there began to be a mourning and lamentation in all of the land because of the things and more especially among the people of Nephi. So they were mourning and lamenting. Um, and it came to pass that when I Mormons saw their lamenting and their mourning and their sorrow before the Lord, my heart did begin to rejoice within me, knowing the mercies and the long suffering of the Lord. Therefore, supposing that he would be merciful unto them, that they would again become a righteous people. See, because at the time, the Nephites were not a righteous people. Um, they had fallen away from many of the core principles that they had learned. And they began to be prideful. And they began to put the love of money before the love of God. And so they had forgotten their God. And when they were pleading and crying out and feeling sorrowful for the people that they had lost in the bloodshed, Mormon, who is amazing, let me remind you, 16 years old, is looking around and saying, oh, good, I'm having hope that their sorrow will change their hearts for better that they will want to return to God, that they will want to be humble, which is often what Heavenly Father does to help us remember him. Sometimes he takes things from us to help us remember our God and to put him first and to put all of these other things that we idle and waste time on, um, on the back burner. He wants us to draw close to him. And so Mormon sees this and feels hopeful 
but he realizes shortly after that it's in vain because look what happens. Behold, this my joy was vain, for their sorrowing was not unto repentance because of the goodness of God, but it was rather the sorrowing of the damned, because the Lord would not always suffer them to take happiness in sin. So they were not recognizing that possibly the sorrow could have happened because of sin. They were not feeling or seeing that repentance and a love for God would help their situation. And that's what kind of scares me, you know, in the world. It it just makes me ponder that Mormon must have been very, very sorrowful after he saw that this experience did not change their hearts for for good. Um, and they did not come unto Jesus with broken hearts and contrite spirits, but they did curse God and wish to die. So instead of turning to God, they cursed God and blamed God and didn't look within themselves on what can I do? How can I better things? That was sad. I'm going to end right here. Just, I'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back, friends. This is Christy Ivory with Come Follow Me. I'm sorry that my exit was so quick. I had to take care of something that couldn't wait. And I cut you guys off mid-chapter. We are in the Book of Mormon within the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ. We are in chapter 2. Verse 15, let me give you guys a little bit of a reminder on what we just covered. Um, Mormon, such an incredible boy at this point. He was 16 years old and he must have been wise beyond his years. I cannot even fathom the type of boy that can lead an army of 44 or actually 42,000 men. That is very impressive. Not only was he um, just, he must have been such an incredible critical thinker to be um, put in that role as leader over all these men. We know that he was large in stature, which he he covered in this chapter. Um, But there were robbers that had covered the land and wickedness that was all around them. Um, there were thieves and robbers and murders and magic art and witchcraft in all of the land. Um, and there was also a lot of mourning and lamentation in the land because of their brethren that they had lost. Um, Mormon was really hopeful that this mourning and lamentation would turn the hearts of the men to God. Um, but his feelings and hope were were in vain. They did not turn their hearts to God. They actually cursed God. And um, how sad is that? But they were angry and angry at God. And um, Mormon was devastated because just he was so sorrowful because he had hoped that 
this would bring them some humility. So now, um, let's read in verse 15. And it came to pass that my sorrow did return unto me again. And I saw that the day of grace was passed with them both temporally and spiritually, for I saw thousands of them hewn down in open rebellion against their God and heaped up as dung upon the face of the land. And thus 340 and four years had passed away. So, wow, the day of grace had passed spiritually and temporally for the Nephite army, the men of the Nephite army. Heavenly Father had given them many chances to turn their hearts, and they had not turned their hearts to him. In 16, and it came to pass that the 340 and fifth year, the Nephites did begin to flee before the Lamanites, and they were pursued until they came even to the land of Jashon, before it was possible to stop them in their retreat. And now the city of Jashon was near the land where Amaron had deposited the records unto the Lord that they might not be destroyed. And behold, I had gone according to the word of Amaron and taken the plates of Nephi and did make a record according to the words of Amaron. And upon the plates of Nephi, I did make a full account of all of the wickedness and abominations But upon these plates I did forbear to make a full account of their wickedness and abominations. For behold, a continual scene of wickedness and abominations had been before mine eyes ever since I had been sufficient to behold the ways of man. How sad. So Mormon is describing in this verse that he had beheld wickedness his entire life. It had been before his eyes his entire life. And woe is me because of their wickedness, for my heart has been filled with sorrow because of their wickedness all my days. Let me read that again. For my heart has been filled with sorrow because of their wickedness all my days. Nevertheless, I know that I shall be lifted up at the last day. Wow. Okay, so Mormon, a young boy, always exposed to wickedness and abomination ever since he was a young child. And ever since he was able to perceive what was going on, he was surrounded by this wickedness and his heart was sorrowful. And he says that he, um, let me see, what did that actually say? All of his days, his heart had been filled with sorrow. How sad. So you would say that Mormon was depressed his whole life. He was depressed because of the things that he had seen, because of the things that he's experienced. He had sorrow within his heart and he carried it. But he says, I know, nevertheless, I know that I shall be lifted up at the last day. 
And it came to pass that in this year, the people of Nephi again were hunted and driven. And it came to pass that we were driven forth until we had come northward to the land which was called Shem. And it came to pass that we did fortify the city of Shem, and we did gather in our people as much as it were possible, that perhaps we might save them from destruction. And it came to pass that in the three hundred and forty and sixth year they began to come upon us again. And it came to pass that I did speak unto my people, and I did urge them with great energy that they would stand boldly before the Lamanites and fight for their wives and their children and their houses and their homes. And my words did arouse them somewhat to vigor in so much that they did not flee from before the Lamanites, but did stand with boldness against them. Here is a 16 year old. Actually, he might be a little bit older now maybe in his 20s, because I know that he had gone and he had uncovered the plates of Nephi and he began to record on them. So I remember Amaron said he was to go do that when he was 24. So he must have been around that age. And he is the one with great energy of heart and soul that stood before them and said, look, you need to fight for your wives and your children and your homes. This is important. You need to fight for this. And he actually stirred something within them and they didn't run away. They confronted them and stood with boldness against them. And it came to pass that we did contend with an army of 30,000 against an army of 50,000. Wow. And it came to pass that we did stand before them with such firmness that they did flee from before us. So they must have had the look of um, strength on their faces. Um, and it came to pass that when they had fled, we did pursue them with our armies And did meet them again and did beat them. Nevertheless, the strength of the Lord was not with us. Yea, we were left to ourselves that the spirit of the Lord did not abide in us. Therefore, we had become weak like unto our brethren. This is a very important verse because... Those words that Mormon says in here, that nevertheless, the strength of the Lord was not with us. How often do we do things on our own? How often do we fight our battles by ourselves because we are not sufficiently humble and prayerful? I know that I do. I know I've taken on things that I did on my own. In my own strength and without God's strength. We need to look at that as a good teaching, a teaching verse that the Nephites here were left in their own strength. Um, And they became weak like unto the Lamanites. Even though they gave strength right here in this moment. 
we can be strong if we ask our Heavenly Father to be with us, to bear the burdens that are in front of us. He will make weak things become strong unto us. But we do need to ask him. We do need to be humble and prayerful and come with a contrite heart and spirit and really want to have a relationship with God. And he will help us and he will carry us. I know that to be true. Um, In 27, he goes on, and my heart did sorrow because of this, the great calamity of my people, because of their wickedness and their abominations. But behold, we did go forth against the Lamanites and the robbers of Gadianton until we had again taken possession of the lands of our inheritance. And the 349th year had passed away. And in the 350th year, we made a treaty with the Lamanites and the robbers of Gadianton, in which we did get the lands of our inheritance divided. And the Lamanites, so here, let me talk about that for a second. So here, in the 350th year, they made a treaty with the Lamanites and the robbers. They had covered the entire land. So they made a deal that they were going to break up their inheritance and divide. Um, they, and it says in 29, and the Lamanites did give unto us the land northward. Yea, even in the narrow passage, which led into the land southward. And we did give unto the Lamanites all the land southward. I was talking to my husband last night and I said, do you think that the United States could ever get split? And he said, yeah, I do think that that could be. I mean, it's, it's definitely doable. We've only been, um, the United States of America for 300 years. So why, why couldn't that be feasible right now? I don't think we have, I know we have never experienced this kind of division. And so when I read here about the Lamanites and the Nephites and how the Lamanites and the Gadianton robbers were, um, teaming up and they were against the Nephites that, and they even had a division. Um, and the, the Nephites went southward and the Lamanites, I'm sorry, the Nephites went northward and the Lamanites went southward. So anyways, it just brought thoughts to me about if perchance the United States could ever get to a place in history where we would need to be divided. That would be a really sad thing. Very sad. I'm going to end you um, end you right there. End that right there. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sometimes my words flow. Sometimes not. I'm going to end right there. And we're going to head into chapter three. Thanks for joining me, you guys. Welcome back. We are in the third chapter of Mormon. We have just witnessed a split. The Lamanites and the robbers had taken over all of the land. And there was a treaty made between the Lamanites and the Nephites to divide the land. The Lamanites gave the Nephites the land northward. And the Lamanites took the land southward. So there was a division among the people. 
Now we are in chapter three, and it came to pass that the Lamanites did not come to battle again until 10 years more had passed away. And behold, I had employed my people, the Nephites, in preparing their lands and their arms against the time of battle. So here is Mormon. Amazing man. I'm just amazed by him. Um, he's probably in his 20s at this point, and he is preparing the people. Okay, there's been a division in the land. There was 10 years, but he still had this desire to prepare his people. He told them to prepare their lands and their arms and be because he wanted them to be prepared. And it came to pass that the Lord did say unto me, cry unto this people, repent ye and come unto me and be baptized and build up again my church and ye shall be spared. So once again, Heavenly Father is coming to Mormon and he is asking Mormon to tell the people to repent. How much does Heavenly Father love us? How many chances has he given the people of Nephi to come unto him and repent. In number three, and I did cry unto this people, but it was in vain. And they did not realize that it was the Lord that had spared them and granted unto them a chance for repentance. They did not see it, you guys. They could not see it. And behold, they did harden their hearts against the Lord their God. And it came to pass that after this 10th year had passed away, making in the whole 360 years from the coming of Christ, the king of the Lamanites sent an epistle unto me, which gave unto me to know that they were preparing to come again, again to battle against us. And it came to pass that I did cause my people that they should gather themselves together in the land desolation to the city which was in the borders by the narrow pass which led to the land southward. And there we did place our armies that we might stop the armies of the Lamanites, that they might not get possession of any of our lands. Therefore we did fortify against them with all our force. They tried, you guys, they tried to prepare and fortify the city as best as they could. Um, so that they were prepared and ready, uh, as, um, when the Lamanites came upon them in number seven, and it came to pass that in the 360 and first year, the Lamanites did come down to the city of desolation to battle against us. And it came to pass that in that year, we did beat them in so much that they did return to their own lands again. And in the th- Three hundred and sixty and second year, they did come down again to battle, and we did beat them again, and did slay a great number of them, and their dead were cast into the sea. And now, because of this great thing which my people, the Nephites, had done, they began to boast in their own strength and began to swear before the heavens that they would avenge themselves of the blood of their brethren who had been slain by their enemies. And they did swear by the heavens and also by the throne of God that they would go up to battle against their enemies and they would cut them off from the face of the land. So with all of this blood and carnage and, um, and, uh, war, 
you would think that the Nephites, you know, would be humble about it. But no, they were boastful about it. They began to boast in their own strength, saying, look what we did. Look what we did. This is what we did. And they would, and they swore that they were going to avenge their um, loved ones' deaths. And um, it came to pass that I, Moroni, did utterly refuse. Okay, so he actually says that phrase twice in this chapter. He utterly refuses from this time forth to be a commander and a leader of this people because of their wickedness and their abominations. Behold, I had led them notwithstanding their wickedness, and I had led them many times to battle and had loved them according to the love of God which was in me. With all of my heart and my soul had been poured out in prayer unto my God all the day long for them. Nevertheless, it was without faith because of the hardness of their hearts. How sad. It just brings me back to that verse where um, Mormon talks about always having sorrow in his heart all of his days. That he just showed so much love to the Nephites. And he wanted so badly for them to be, you know, remember God and remember righteousness. But they just did not remember. And at this point, he's like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I am so sad to see the state that you're in, boasting, laughing, avenging your, uh, the, your brethren's death. This is all very depressing to me. And I am not going to subject myself to this any longer. I am done. And in 13, and thrice have I delivered them out of the hands of their enemies, and they have repented not of their sins. Three times, Mormon had delivered them. It was through his faith that they were delivered out of the hands of their enemies. But do you think that they could see it? Absolutely not. They couldn't see it. In 14, and when they had sworn by all that had been forbidden them by the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that they would go up unto their enemies to battle and avenge themselves of the blood of their brethren. Behold, the voice of the Lord came unto me, saying, in 15, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay. And because this people repented not after I had delivered them, behold, they shall be cut off from the face of the earth. So here, Heavenly Father explains to us that Vengeance is his. It is not our job. It is not our job to go um, to go get back at whoever hurt us. It is Heavenly Father's job to do that. Vengeance is mine, he says. And in 16, it came to pass that, utter, that I utterly refused to go up against mine enemies And I did even as the Lord had commanded me, and I did stand as an idle witness to manifest unto the world the things which I had saw and heard according to the manifestations of the Spirit which had testified of the things to to come. So he was not to lead. Can you imagine? I mean, it makes me think of like the best, the most 
strong and passionate coach not being able to coach his football team. Just standing back in idleness, watching without saying a word. Can you imagine that? I wonder who took up, like, who took his place. So he stands idle as a witness. And 17, therefore I write unto you Gentiles and also unto you house of Israel, when the work shall commence that ye shall be about to prepare to return to the land of your inheritance. And behold, I write unto all the ends of the earth, yea, unto you 12 tribes of Israel, who shall be judged according to your works by the 12 whom Jesus chose to be his disciples in the land of Jerusalem. And I write also unto the remnant of this people who shall also be judged by the 12 whom Jesus chose in this land. And they shall be judged by the other 12 whom Jesus chose in the land of Jerusalem. And these things doth the spirit manifest unto me. Therefore, I write unto you all. And for this cause, I write unto you that ye may know that ye must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Yea, every soul who belongs to the whole human family of Adam. And if ye must stand to be judged of your works, whether they be good or evil. Every single one of us belong to the human family of Adam. We will all have to stand before God and account for the things that we have done on this earth, whether they be good or whether they be evil. We will all have to do that. And, um, and account for all of the works that we have been a part of in our lifetime. In 21, and also that you may believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, which ye shall have among you. And also that the Jews, the covenant people of the Lord, shall have other witnesses besides him, whom they saw and heard that Jesus, whom they slew, was the very Christ and the very God. Okay, I'm going to read that again, you guys. And also that ye may believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which ye shall have among you. And also that the Jews, the covenant people of the Lord, shall have other witnesses besides him whom they saw and heard that Jesus, whom they slew, was the very Christ and the very God. Okay, in 22, and it would that I could persuade all ye ends of the earth to repent and prepare to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us, all of us that belong to the human family of Adam, we need to repent and we need to prepare because this time on this earth is our time to prepare to meet our God. That is why we're here. We are here to gain experience and to be tested and to be tried to see if we will uphold and live the way that God intended us to live. We were all born with the light of Christ within us. We were all born with the knowledge to know good from evil. And so now is our time to prepare to meet him. And 
I will be back with chapter four. Welcome back to all my friends out there that are keeping tabs on my podcast. I really appreciate you guys and your support. Um, Really, I am just very excited about the Book of Mormon and if it can help one person um, recognize the power that's within this book, that's all I am doing it for because it has been such a leading light in my life um, and such a help through all of the struggles of life for me. So I thank you for joining me. We are in the Book of Mormon in the Book of Mormon, if that makes any sense. Um, The Book of Mormon is another testament of Jesus Christ and the Book of Mormon inside of it is extremely powerful. Um, Let me give you a little bit of a background. We just read in chapter three that Mormon is crying repentance to the people They gain victory and glory in their own strength, and they boast about it. Mormon refuses to lead them, but then he repents and leads them again. The Book of Mormon invites the 12 tribes of Israel to believe in the gospel. That's what we just finished reading. Now we're going to be reading in chapter 4, War and Carnage Continue. The wicked punish the wicked. Greater wickedness prevails than ever before in all Israel. Women and children are sacrificed to idols, and the Lamanites begin to sweep the Nephites before them. And this is about 363 through 75 AD. So... Um, I'm going to start out and now it came to pass that in the 360 and third year, the Nephites did go up with their armies to battle against the Lamanites out of the land of desolation. And it came to pass that the armies of the Nephites were driven back again to the land of desolation. And while they were yet weary, a fresh army of Lamanites did come upon them and they had a sore battle and so much the Lamanites did take possession of the city of desolation and did slay many of the Nephites, and did take many prisoners. Um, And in three, and the remainder did flee, and join the inhabitants of the city of Teancum. Now the city of Teancum lay in the borders by the seashore, and um, it was also near the city of Desolation. And it was because the armies of the Nephites went up unto the Lamanites, that they began to be smitten, or were it not for that, the Lamanites could have no power over them. Okay, so um, the armies of the Nephites went up to the Lamanites, and they they began to be overpowered by the Lamanites. If they would not have done that, then the Lamanites would not have had power over them, but they did it anyway. And in five, behold, the judgments of God will overtake the wicked, and it is by the wicked that the wicked are punished. I've been thinking a lot about this, you guys, and how this can be um, seen playing out in life right now. The wicked are punished by the wicked. 
for it is the wicked that stir up the hearts of the children of men unto bloodshed. And it came to pass that the Lamanites did make preparations to come against the city Teancum. And it came to pass that in the 364th year, the Lamanites did come against the city Teancum, and they might, that they might take possession of the city Teancum also. And it came to pass that they were repulsed and driven back by the Nephites. And when the Nephites saw that they had driven the Lamanites, they did again boast of their own strength, that they went forth in their own might and took possession again of the city of desolation. So they continued to see their own strength and to have pride in their own abilities to overcome the Lamanites. This just makes me reflect on how much easier life is when we put God first and um, we have the strength of God with us. Because when we do that, we are so much more powerful with the things that we can do in life. Um, I'm going to read in number nine. And now all these things have been done and there had been thousands slain on both sides, both the Nephites and the Lamanites, thousands. And it came to pass that the 360 and six year had passed away. So this is 360 and six years that had gone away since Christ had appeared to the, to the people in, on the American continent. Okay, so, and the Lamanites came again upon the Nephites to battle, and yet the, the Nephites repented not of the evil they had done, but persisted in their wickedness continually. And it is impossible for the tongue to describe or for man to write a perfect description of the horrible scene of the blood and carnage which was upon the people, both of the Nephites and of the Lamanites, and every heart was hardened so that they delighted in the shedding of blood continually. I cannot get over the fact that Mormon was witnessing and had been witnessing all of this since he was a young child. He had been entangled and surrounded about by wickedness everywhere. And his heart was sorrowful all the days of his life because of the things that he had seen from his people and from the Lamanites. You know, my heart just goes out to Mormon. How would that feel to feel like you were one of the very few that had a soft heart and knew about God? I feel like you would feel very, I would feel very alone if I had nobody that shared my personal convictions. Um... Just take, take politically. I mean, if you, if you are into politics and take politically your side, okay? Because we are, sadly, we are in such a divisive time right now where I don't know in all of history, if in American history, there's been this much divisiveness. But imagine if you didn't have one soul that understood your point of view, that is kind of how I'm viewing Mormon at this time, that he has been surrounded by all of this wickedness all of his life. And I'm hoping and praying that Mormon had his family because I believe that he did. 
and um, even with the few of your family supporting you behind that will lift you up. So I'm hoping that Mormon received joy in his son Moroni, who we're going to be talking about here pretty soon, and his family. So I I just hold for hope for that. Okay, so in number um, 11, that's what we just read, number 12, and there never had been so great wickedness among all the children of Lehi, or even among all the house of Israel, according to the words of the Lord, as was among this people. And it came to pass that the Lamanites did take possession of the city desolation, and this because their number did exceed the number of the Nephites. They did also march forward against the city Teancum and did drive the inhabitants forth out of her. And um, and it did take many prisoners, both women and children, and did offer them up as sacrifices unto their idol gods. Can you imagine these poor women and children sacrificed to their idol gods? Because why? Back in 11, we read... Every heart was hardened so that they delighted in the shedding of blood continually. I mean, what monsters, you know, what little devils literally hard in their hearts to the point of they can't even realize or fathom. They're so past feeling that they are also part of the human race, yet they delight in the shedding of blood. And just, I, I, that's beyond what my mind can fathom here. So here they're offering the women and the children up to their idol gods. And it came to pass in 15 that the 360 and seventh year, the Nephites being angry because the Lamanites had sacrificed their women and their children, that they did go against the Lamanites with exceeding great anger. I mean, I can imagine you come home, your wife and your children are murdered. That would be very, very hard to stay calm and collected about for sure. So finishing 15 and so much that they did beat again, the Lamanites and drive them out of their lands. And the Lamanites did not come again against the Nephites until the 375th year. So how many years was that then? This was the 360 and sixth year, 60 and sixth year. And this was six and this is 370 and fifth year. Oh, so that's quite some time. That's like, it seems like it's 15 years or so. So that's great that they were able to have that kind of peace. Um, oh, let's see, 70 and fifth year. No, that's longer. No, that's shorter. Okay. I'm trying to do math in my head right now. I'm not the best at math. <laughs> so I think it's about 11 years. And in 17 and in this year, they did come down against the Nephites with all their powers. And they were not numbered because of the greatness of their number. And from this time forth did the Nephites gain no power over the Lamanites, but began to be swept off by them, even as a dew before the sun. And it came to pass that the Lamanites did come down against the city desolation. There was an exceeding sore battle fought in the land desolation, in the which they did beat the Nephites. 
And they fled again from before them, and they came to the city of Boaz. And there they did stand against the Lamanites with exceeding boldness, insomuch the Lamanites did not beat them until they had come again the second time. And then they had come the second time, and the Nephites were driven and slaughtered, and an exceeding great slaughter. Their women and their children were again sacrificed to idols. Horrific. That is so horrific. Almost feels un... Like, you can't even imagine this happening. I mean, you can, I guess, if you're watching old movies. If you're watching war movies, you can kind of imagine this. But what a barbaric and terrible way to die. Uh, No thanks. I would much rather have, like, live in this moment in time for sure in 22 and it came to pass that the nephites did again flee from before them taking all of the inhabitants with them both in towns and in villages and now i mormon seeing that the lamanites were about to overthrow the land therefore i did go up to the hill shim and i did take up all the records which amaron had hid up unto the lord so do you guys remember when amaron was um Mormon was 10. Amaron came to him and told him he thought he was a very insightful child. And then when he turned 24, he was supposed to go up to the the hill Shim and uncover all of these records from the Nephite people. And you're to take the records of Nephi and you're to continue writing the things that you see, recording the history that you observe so that you can preserve this knowledge for future generations for who for us for us right now in this moment in time mormon sacrificed so much to bring this record to us his whole life seemed to be in the service of his god and his country and his brothers and sisters the nephites in leading them and he just amazes me really amazes me despite the the challenges and the sorrow that he felt he continued to press on and he continued to be strong no matter what his circumstances were and that just is amazing to me so um at the end of 23 he says i mormon seeing that the lamanites were about to overthrow the land Therefore, I did go up to the hill Shim, and I did take up all the records which Amaron had hid up unto the Lord. So now he collects all of the records. Before, he only got the plates of Nephi, is what I recall. Okay, now we're moving on to chapter 5. Mormon again leads the Nephite armies to battle in battles of blood and carnage. And the Book of Mormon will come forth in the convincing of all Israel that Jesus is the Christ. And because of their unbelief, the Lamanites will be scattered and the spirit will cease to strive with them. They will receive the gospel of the Gentiles in the latter days. And this is about 375 through 84 AD. Okay. And it came to pass that I did go forth among the Nephites and did repent of the oath which I had made that I would no more assist them. So... You know, Mormon was overcome with hopelessness. 
in leading the Nephite army because he felt they did not recognize their God. They weren't giving any um, thanks and recognition for all of the times that Mormon had saved them, that God had preserved them from falling into the hands of their enemies, but they were too blind to see it. And, um, so he said, I'm done. But now after the thousands of people that were killed, he started feeling remorse. He started feeling a a sense to repent of this oath that he had made. And so he goes on to say, I had made Okay, so I did repent of the oath which I had made that I would no more assist them. And they gave me command again of their armies. For they looked upon me as though I could deliver them from their afflictions. Okay, so I did kind of try to do the math here um, a few chapters back. That Mormon seemed to be in his 50s around this time. Now, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But he had been, uh, you guys can figure the math out, from when he was 15 or 16 and took command uh, as leader of the Nephite army. Now he has led them a very long time. They have been through battles together. And I think he is around in his 50s at this point. Number two, but behold, I was without hope for I knew the judgments of the Lord which should come upon them. For they repented not of their, their iniquities and did struggle for their lives without calling upon the being who created them. Oh my goodness. How could they not? Like, you know, as a parent, you're leading and guiding your children. I mean, I've been praying with my children for a very long time since they were little, praying at the side of their bed. Am I perfect at it? No. Um, There's definite times where I don't do it. Um, But I have tried to be as consistent as I could be in my, uh, human imperfectness, if that's even a way to say it. But, um, I have tried, I've done my best and it would just rip me up if my kids did not remember after all of the time I have spent trying to teach them about God and about where to turn when your life gets really hard. I can only imagine what Mormon felt when his people would not turn to the God that he knew that they knew, but they had become so hard in their hearts that they were past feeling. How sad that would be for Mormon. In number three, and it came to pass that the Lamanites did come against us as we had fled to the city of Jordan. But behold, we were driven back and they did not take the city at that time. And it came to pass that they came against us again and we did maintain the city. And there were also other cities which were maintained by the Nephites, which strongholds did cut them off that they could not get into the country which lay before us to destroy the inhabitants of our land. Okay, so... Um, sorry, I just totally zoned out for a second, (laughs) which I tend to do now and again. Okay. So there were also other cities which were maintained by the Nephites, which strongholds did cut them off that they could not get into the country, uh, 
the which lay before us to destroy the inhabitants of our land. Okay, that's good. But it came to pass that whatsoever lands we had passed by and the inhabitants thereof were not gathered in, were destroyed by the Lamanites and their towns and their villages and their cities were burned with fire. And thus were hundreds, were, were three, thus 370 and nine years had passed away. Okay, so if the people weren't ready and they weren't gathered in and they weren't paying attention and they weren't at their strongholds and they weren't prepared, they were destroyed by the Lamanites. Their towns were burned. They were destroyed. And in six, it came to pass that in the 380 year, the Lamanites did come again against us to battle and we did stand against them boldly. How completely exhausting. I mean, don't you think they were mentally and physically exhausted at this point? I mean, wouldn't you just want to wave a white flag and be like, I am so done. Okay. I'm tired. I don't even care anymore. Can we just be friends? <laughs> I mean, oh, I can only imagine these warriors and how they must have felt. For so great were their numbers that they did tread the people of the Nephites under their feet. There was such a large mass of Lamanites that they, they trampled the Nephites under their feet. And it came to pass that we did fight. We again took flight and those who, whose flight was swifter than the Lamanites did escape. And those whose flight did not exceed the Lamanites were swept down and destroyed. If you weren't fast, you were gone. And number eight, and now behold, I Mormon do not desire to harrow up the souls of men and casting before them such an awful scene of blood and carnage as was laid before my eyes. But I knowing that these things must surely be made known and that all things which are hid must be re revealed upon the housetops. Okay, so I should have remembered this verse so I didn't get so dramatic and in detail with you guys because Mormon here is describing how he wants to prevent us, prevent all of us that are reading this um, from hearing the gory, terrible details of um, the souls of these men and the awful scene that was before his eyes. Okay, so in nine, and also that the knowledge of these things must, must come unto the remnant of this people and also unto the Gentiles, who the Lord hath said should scatter this people and, the, and this people should be counted as not among them. Therefore, I write a small abridgment, daring not to give a full account of the things which I have seen because of the commandment which I have received, and also that ye might not have too great sorrow because of the wickedness of this people. So, it sounded like he wanted to write it, um, because he said, um, I write a small abridgment, daring not, to give a full account, even though he knew and he felt that the spirit was telling him, no, don't write anymore. They don't need to know this. I bet he wanted to write it all out. Maybe therapeutic. 
Number 10, now behold, this I speak unto their seed and also the Gentiles who have care of the house of Israel that realize and know from whence their blessings come. For I know that such will sorrow for the calamity of the house of Israel. Yea, they will sorrow for the destruction of this people. They will sorrow that this people had not repented, that they might have been uh, clasped in the arms of Jesus. So he knows that some people are going to sorrow for the calamity of the house of Israel. Now, who are the people of the house of Israel? They are the people who have covenanted, made covenants with God and have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to take upon his name. They have been made covenants. They are then considered um, part of the house of Israel. That means us as well that have been baptized and who have taken upon our name, uh, taken upon Christ's name, and we have covenanted with God and made these covenants. We are considered a part of the house of Israel. In 12, now these things are written unto the remnant of the house of Jacob. And they are written after this manner because it is known of God that wickedness will not bring them forth unto them. And they are to be hid up unto the Lord that they may come forth in his own due time. So that I'm going to be talking about in a few chapters ahead of this. When will the records come forth? They will come forth in the Lord's own due time. In 13, and this is the commandment which I have received. And behold, they shall come forth according to the commandment of the Lord when he shall see fit in his wisdom. These records are going to come forth exactly when God wants them to. In 14, and behold, they shall go unto the unbelieving of the Jews. And for this intent shall they go, that they may be persuaded that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Father may bring about through his most beloved, his great and eternal purpose in restoring the Jews or all the house of Israel to the land of their inheritance, which the Lord their God hath given them unto the fulfilling of his covenant. Okay, a lot of information there. Um, he has such a desire to bring the unbelieving of the Jews to the knowledge of the truth through his most beloved, his great and eternal purpose in restoring the Jews or all the house of Israel to the land of their inheritance, which the Lord their God hath given them. Okay, so in 15, and also that the seed of this people may more fully believe his gospel, which shall go forth unto them from the Gentiles, and this people shall be scattered and shall become a dark, a filthy, and a loathsome people beyond description of that which ever hath been among us, yea, even that which hath been among the Lamanites, and this because of their unbelief and idolatry. So he's talking about the seed of um, the Jews or all of the house of Israel. 
For behold, the Spirit of the Lord hath already ceased to strive with their fathers, and they are without Christ and God in the world, and they are driven about a shaft before the wind. They don't have a knowledge of Jesus Christ or God in the world. 17. They were once a delightsome people, and they had Christ for their shepherd. Yea, they were led even by God the Father, but now behold, they are led about by Satan. Even as shaft is driven before the wind, or as a vessel is tossed about upon the waves without sail, anchor, or without anything whithersoever to steer her, and even as she is, so are they. So these people, they once had... Hold on one second. I'm going to pause for a second. Um, okay, so they shall go. I'm trying to, to think really quick. Um, okay, so the scriptures are going to go forth unto the unbelieving of the Jews because... Um, that the Jews may be persuaded that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through his most beloved and great and eternal purpose in restoring the Jews or all of the house of Israel to the land of their inheritance, he wants to gather Israel, okay, which the Lord their God hath given them. And also that the seed of this people may more fully believe his gospel. Um, so it was imperative and very important to bring this light to the people of the Jews in restoring the Jews or the house of Israel. I just wanted to make sure I was understanding that correct. Okay, so in 18, it says that they had been led about by Satan, even as shaft in the, in, is driven before the wind, as a vessel is tossed um, upon the waves without a sail or anchor, without anything wherewith to steer her. And even as she is, so are they. And behold, the Lord hath reserved their blessings, which they might have received in the land for the Gentiles who shall possess the land. But behold, it shall come to pass that they shall be driven and scattered by the Gentiles. And after they have been driven and scattered by the Gentiles, behold, then will the Lord remember the covenant which he had made unto Abraham and unto all the house of Israel. And also the Lord will remember the prayers of the righteous, which have been put up unto him for them. And then, O ye Gentiles, how can ye stand before the power of God, except ye shall repent and turn from your evil ways? So when he talks to the Gentiles, he is talking to those people who have not made a covenant with God, have not been baptized, and they are not part of the house of Israel. So he's referring to the Gentiles as um, not making covenants with God. Know ye not that he hath all power, and at his great command the earth shall be rolled together as a scroll? 
Uh, oh, wait. I can't miss this very important part. I almost missed it. In 22, and then, O ye Gentiles, how can you stand before the power of God except ye repent and turn from your evil ways? Okay, I already read that. But this next part of 23, I, I skipped. Know ye not that ye are in the hands of God? Know ye not that he hath all power, and at his great command, the earth shall be rolled together as a scroll? So, do we not know that we are in the hands of God? Sure, yes, we are walking the earth. We're getting up every day, getting ready for work, for home, for school, going about our day, but do we not realize and recognize that we are in the hands of God. And in two seconds, if the earth wanted to be rolled together as a scroll, he would say, and it would happen. He hath all power and at his great command, the earth shall be rolled together as a scroll. Therefore repent ye and humble yourselves before him lest he shall come out in justice against you, lest a remnant of the seed of Jacob shall go forth among you as a lion and tear you in pieces and there is none to deliver. Okay, strong words from Mormon at the end of Mormon chapter 5. Um, Mormon's words, they cut deep. They are so inspiring to me. Oh, I remember when I served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I served in Arizona. And I can remember one time we went to read the Book of Mormon with um, a person who was looking into the church. And we read, I can remember reading this uh, Book of Mormon inside of the Book of Mormon. And the extreme power that I felt as we read the words of Mormon and how they literally felt like words, his words coming, speaking from the dust as he puts it. Incredibly powerful. So he wants us to know right here that we need to repent and humble ourselves. I mean, sure, he's speaking. Um, actually... I mean, I feel like every scripture, we can liken it unto ourselves and apply it to our own lives, no matter who he is talking to at the moment. What he's doing is he's just prophesying that the Book of Mormon is going to come forth to all of Israel. But I feel the advice he is giving from the dust is for us. Um, repent and humble yourself before him lest he shall come out in justice against you. We need to repent and he will deliver us. Okay, so now we're moving on to chapter six. Okay, you guys, I usually pause, but I'm just going to go right on ahead because we have a lot of amazing chapters in front of us. Okay, so chapter six, the Nephites gather to the land of Cumorah, for the final battles, Mormon hides the sacred records in the hill Cumorah. The Lamanites and are victorious and the Nephite nation is destroyed. This is a sad chapter, the end of the Book of Mormon. It's intense. The Nephite population um, is hunted and destroyed. Let's read about it. 
And now I finish my record concerning the destruction of my people, the Nephites. And it came to pass that we did march forth before the Lamanites and I, Mormon, wrote an epistle unto the king of the Lamanites and desired of him that he would grant unto us that we might gather together our people unto the land of Cumorah by the hill which was called Cumorah, and there we could give them battle. I wonder at this time if he just knew this is it. This is the end. Uh, because he did not have hope. Remember? Because he knew that they had turned from their God. And it came to pass that the king of the Lamanites did grant unto me the thing which I desired. So he said, that's fine. Let's meet on the hill Cumorah. Gather all of your men and meet me here. And it came to pass that we did march forth to the land of Cumorah, and we did pitch our tents around about the hill Cumorah. And it was in the land of many waters, rivers, and fountains. And here we had hope to gain advantage over the Lamanites. I guess they did have hope to gain an advantage. Um, and then 380 and four years had passed away. We had gathered in all the re remainder of our people into the land of Cumorah. And it came to pass that when we gathered in all of our people in one to the land of Cumorah, behold, I Mormon began to be old. Okay, so I haven't done the math, you guys, on this. I don't know how old Mormon is right at this time from the time that he received the calling to be their leader at the age of 16. Um, let's see, you guys. I'm going to turn back. See if I wrote it in my notes way back here. I know I did. Um, let's see. I don't know, you guys. That's going to take me a minute. But I maybe he's like in his 70s. Who knows? Okay, so, um, so they went there. There were beautiful waters, beautiful fountains. They had hope. Um, and it came to pass that when we gathered in our people in the land of Cumorah, behold, yep, I Mormon being, uh, began to be old and knowing it would be the last struggle of my people. Oh, knowing it to be the last struggle of my people. So he did know. And having been commanded of the Lord that I should not suffer the records which had been handed down by our fathers, which were sacred, to fall into the hands of the Lamanites, for the Lamanites would destroy them. Therefore, I made this record out of the plates of Nephi and hid up in the hill Cumorah all the records which had been entrusted to me by the hand of the Lord. And it and it uh, save it were these few plates which I gave unto my son Moroni. So those of you that don't know the history of the Book of Mormon, um, this is a very important part for you to know because Mormon hands off the golden plates to his son Moroni, and that's going to be coming up. Um. In seven, and it came to pass that my people with their wives and their children did not behold the armies of the Lamanites. And I'm sorry, you guys, about all the noise that's behind me. I'm actually sitting in my car in a gas station parking lot drinking my favorite buy drink. <laughs> so I'm sitting here and uh, there's cars around me and everything. So I apologize for the loud. 
sounds behind me. Okay, so the people with their wives and their children did now behold that the armies of the Lamanites marching towards them. So now they have their wives and their children and everything with them. And I don't know if that was protocol that sometimes the women fought. Oh my gosh, terrible. And maybe they didn't fight. I don't know. Maybe they were just there. And with the awful fear of death, which fills the breasts of all the wicked, they did await to receive them. That's an interesting description right there of the wicked. And with that awful fear of death, which fills the breasts of all the wicked, did they await to receive them. And it came to pass that they came to battle against us. And every soul was filled with terror because of the greatness of their numbers. So yes, they knew. Mormon knew. This was the last time they were going to go to battle. And it came to pass that they did fall upon my people with the sword and with the bow and with the arrow and with the axe and with all manner of weapons of war. And it came to pass that my men were hewn down. Yea, even my 10,000 who were with me. And I fell wounded in the midst and they passed by me and they did not put an end to my life. So here's Mormon and he has 10,000 men and they are just hacking their way through and Mormon is wounded and he falls, but they are not putting an end to his life. And then when they had gone through and hewn down all of my people, save it were 20 and four of us, 24 out of 10,000 men were the only ones to survive. Among whom was my son Moroni. Moroni survived. And we having survived the dead of our people did behold on the morrow when the Lamanites had returned unto their camps from the top of the hill Cumorah, the 10,000 of my people were hewn down, being led in the front by me. Wow. Here's Mormon, old. And he was wounded, but not killed. And I'm sure he was... Um, I'm sure he had a a younger army. There was probably some that were his age too, but wow, the Lord preserved him at this time in 12. And we also beheld the 10,000 of my people who were led by my son Moroni. Oh, this is where we get into it because they had, I think I counted a hundred thousand men and there was a leader assigned over each 10,000. So in 13 and behold the 10,000. So 10,000 was were led um, by Moroni and then behold the 10,000 of Gidgadona had fallen and he also in the midst and Lema had fallen with his 10,000 and Gilgal had fallen with his 10,000 and Limha had fallen with his 10,000 and Jenam Jenam had fallen with his 10,000 and Kumaniha and Moroniha and Antionum and Shiblam and Shem and Josh had fallen with their 10,000 each. All of these leaders had fallen with their 10,000. Um, except Moroni and Mormon 15. And it came to pass that there were 10 more who did fall by the sword with their 10,000 each. 
Yea, even all my people, save it were those 24 who were with me, and also a few who had escaped into the south countries, and a few who had deserted over into the Lamanites, had fallen, and their flesh and bones and blood lay upon the face of the earth, being left by the hands of those who slew them, to molder upon the land, and to crumble, and to return to their mother earth. Can you even imagine a hundred thousand bodies laying dead before you? I'm trying to give you a visual here. I can't even comprehend the blood and carnage that was before their eyes and how devastating this must have been. And in 16, and my soul was rent with anguish because of the slain of my people. And I cried, O ye fair ones, how could ye have departed from the ways of the Lord? O ye fair ones, how could ye have rejected that Jesus, who stood with open arms to receive you? Behold, if ye had not done this, ye would not have fallen. But behold, ye are fallen, and I mourn your loss. O ye fair sons and daughters, ye fair fathers and mothers, ye husbands and wives, Ye fair ones, how is it that ye could have fallen? But behold, ye are gone, and my sorrows cannot bring your return. And the day soon cometh that your mortal must be put on immortality, and these bodies which are now moldering in corruption must soon become incorruptible bodies. And then ye must stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged according of your works. And if it so be that ye are righteous, then ye are blessed with your fathers who have gone before you. Oh, that ye had repented before this great destruction had come upon you. But behold, ye are gone. And the Father, yea, the eternal Father in heaven, knoweth your state, and he doeth with you according to his justice and mercy. Wow. Wow. Mormons cry in, in um, anguish because of the slain of his people. If they had just repented, this wouldn't have happened to them. Okay, so what does that teach us now in our latter days? What does that teach us? This would not have happened but behold you are fallen and I mourn your loss and your fair sons and your fair daughters and your fathers and your mothers and everybody is gone and no matter how much sorrow Mormon felt it wasn't going to bring anybody back and then he gives them a, a vocal um, what's the word I'm thinking? A vocal, um, can't think. Plea. Maybe not a plea, actually. But he tells them that they're all going to have to stand before God. And if you're righteous, then you're going to be in a good place with the, with your forefathers. If not, you're going to have to stand before God and account for the things that we have done in this lifetime. 
and we can apply this to our lives as well. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for listening to me rattle off today. And the next chapter chapters will be uh, Mormon chapters 7 through 9. See you tomorrow. Welcome back. This is Christy Ivory with Come Follow Me. And thanks so much for joining me tonight. I'm being a little quiet. I do have sleepers around me right now. So, um, but I am anxious to jump back into our studying. And we are studying Mormon chapter 7 through chapter 9 today. Um, and so I want to just give a quick refresh on our last chapter. Um, th- we saw through Mormon's eyes and we actually read and felt his anguish as he watched the Nephite nation uh, be destroyed before his eyes. Um, and that was a heart-wrenching uh, chapter to read and to to just imagine what Mormon felt. I just can't imagine. If you haven't listened, go back and listen to that one. Okay, so we're in chapter 7. Mormon invites the Lamanites of the latter days to believe in Christ, accept his gospel, and be saved. All who believe the Bible will also believe the Book of Mormon about... 385 AD. And now behold, I speak somewhat unto the remnant of this people who are spared. So he's talking to the 24. If it so be that God may give unto them my words, that they may know of the things of their fathers. Yea, I speak unto you, ye remnant of the house of Israel. And these are the words which I speak. Um, actually, you guys, he's not talking to the 24 survivors. He is inviting all of the remnant of the house of Israel um, to listen to his words. And so he says, and these are the words which I speak. Know ye that ye are of the house of Israel. Know ye that ye must come unto repentance or you cannot be saved. Know ye that ye must lay down your weapons of war and delight no more in the shedding of blood and take them not again, save it be that God shall command you. So he is telling the house of Israel not to take up their weapons of war. He's saying you must lay them down and do not delight in the shedding of blood. And um, in five, know ye that ye must come to the knowledge of your fathers and repent of your sins and iniquities and believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the son of God and that he was slain by the Jews and by the power of the father, he hath risen again, whereby he hath gained the victory over the grave. And also in him is the sting of death swallowed up. So I found that really interesting that in verse four, um, he makes a point to remind them that they need to lay down their weapons of war. 
and not delight in the shedding of people's blood. Um, and, and how interesting it is that he points out that it's important that they remember not to take up arms against their brethren unless God commands it. And that just made me pause and made me reflect for a minute. In number five, he goes on to say, acknowledge your re- and repent of your sins and iniquities. Realize the iniquity, I mean, realize the, um, and come to a knowledge of your forefathers. Repent of your sins and iniquities and believe in Jesus Christ. Believe that he was slain by the Jews and by the power of the Father he hath risen again, whereby he hath gained victory over the grave. And also in him the sting of death is swallowed up. So he's encouraging them to repent and realize these things. And in six, and he bringeth to pass the resurrection of the dead, whereby man must be raised to stand before his judgment seat. And he hath brought to pass the redemption of the world, whereby he that is found guiltless before him at the judgment day hath it given unto him to dwell in the presence of God in his kingdom, to sing ceasing, ceasingless praises with the choirs above unto the Father, and unto the Son, and unto the Holy Ghost, which are one God in a state of happiness, which hath no end. Therefore repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus, and lay hold upon the gospel of Christ, which shall be set before you, not only in this record, but also in the record which shall come unto the Gentiles from the Jews, which record shall come from the Gentiles unto you. Okay, so he is reiterating here that they need to repent and be baptized. He's inviting the Lamanites of the latter days to believe in Jesus Christ, to repent and to be baptized, and to lay hold upon this gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, the record, he says, is also the record which shall come unto the Gentiles from the Jews. So that is the Bible. Which record shall come from the Gentiles unto you? And then in 9, For behold, this is written for the intent that ye may believe that, and if you believe that ye will believe this also, and if you believe this, ye will know concerning your fathers, and also the marvelous works which were wrought by the power of God among them. So, once again, reiterating the importance of the written word and believing in that and that if you if you read you will marvel at the works that are in there um by the power of God among them and in 10 and ye will also know that ye are a remnant of the seed of Jacob 
Therefore, ye are numbered among the people of the first covenant. And if it so be that ye believe in Christ and are baptized first with water and then with fire and with the Holy Ghost, following the example of our Savior, because Jesus Christ was baptized to be an example to us and to show us the way. So he's saying here, um, following the example of our Savior, according to that which he hath commanded us, and it shall be well with you in the day of judgment. Amen. So also in that chapter, he touches that all who believe in the Bible will also believe in the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon is not to replace the Bible. The Book of Mormon is another testament. It is an account, a written historical account that dates back to 600 years before Christ. And it is to support the Bible and to complement the Bible and to also give a second witness of conviction that the Bible is the word of God. So the two of them complement each other and are beautiful books. And it's just really amazing to see how if you use them together and you use the footnotes in, below, you can go back and forth from the Book of Mormon to the Bible and you will see that they both testify of Christ and I encourage you to read and to pray about the Book of Mormon if you have not, because nobody can tell you what to believe. But I can only tell you that I know that as I have read the Book of Mormon, it has lit within me a fire that I cannot describe. I know that it is a record. And I want everybody else to have a chance to um, read it and ponder it and pray to know for yourself if it truly is a record, an ancient record. So Mormon is sharing in here that all who believe in the Bible will also believe the Book of Mormon. Okay, so now we're in chapter 8. The Lamanites seek out and destroy the Nephites. The Book of Mormon will come forth by the power of God. Woes pronounce upon those who breathe out wrath and strife against the work of the Lord. The Nephite record will come forth in a day of wickedness, degeneracy, and apostasy. About 400 to 421 AD. Now, Mormon has passed the record off to his son Moroni. So now his son Moroni is taking over. So he starts out saying, Behold, I, Moroni, do finish the record of my father Mormon. Behold, I have but few things to write, which things I have been commanded by my father. And now it came to pass that after the great and tremendous battle at Cumorah, Behold, the Nephites who had escaped into the country southward were hunted by the Lamanites until they were all destroyed. 
and my father also was killed by them, and I even remain alone to write the sad tale of the destruction of my people. But behold, they are gone, and I fulfill the commandment of my father, and whether they will slay me I know not. Therefore I will write and hide up the records in the earth, and whither I go it mattereth not. Behold, my father hath made this record, and he hath written the intent thereof, and behold, I would write it also, if I had room upon the plates, but I have not, and or I have none, and I am alone, and my father hath been slain in battle, and all my kinfolks, and I have not friends, nor whither to go, and how, and now, I'm sorry, and how long the Lord will suffer that I may live, I know not. Wow. I can't imagine. He has seen all of his people hunted down and killed, including his father. And now he remains alone with no friends. And um, he doesn't know how long the Lord will suffer him to remain alone. In six, behold, 400 years have passed away since the coming of our Lord and Savior. And behold, the Lamanites have hunted my people, the Nephites, down from city to city, from place to place, even until they are no more. And great has been their fall. Yea, great and marvelous is the destruction of my people, the Nephites. And behold, it is the hand of the Lord which has done it. Now that stopped me right in my tracks when I read that. It is the hand of the Lord which has done it. Wow. And behold, also the Lamanites are at war one with another. So here the wicked have turned upon the wicked. And the whole face of this land is one continual round of murder and bloodshed. And no one knoweth the end of the war. And now behold, I say no more concerning them. For there are none, save it be the Lamanites, and robbers that do exist upon the face of the land. Can you imagine the loneliness? You know, all that that are on the face of the of the land are Lamanites and robbers. And there are none that do know the true God, save it be the disciples of Jesus who did tarry in the land until the wickedness of the people was so great that the Lord would not suffer them to remain with the people, and whether they be upon the face of the land, no man knoweth. So the only people that were to survive were the three Nephites that asked to stay and tarry until the second coming of Christ. Besides them, Moroni was alone. So in number 11... But behold, my father and I have seen them, and they have ministered unto us. And whosoever receiveth this record, and shall not condemn it because of the imperfections which are in it, the same shall know of greater things than these. Behold, I am Mormon, and were it possible, I would make all things known unto you. That is just so cool. That just makes me get the chills. 
so who's it's it, it's Moroni speaking to us from the dust. Literally, he said, "Whoso, whoso receiveth this record, meaning the one that we're reading right now, and shall not condemn it because of the imperfections which are in it, the same shall know of greater things than these." Okay, so. And he says, if it were possible, I would tell you everything. But he can't because he goes on to tell us that, behold, I make an end of speaking concerning this people. I am the son of Mormon, and my father was a descendant of Nephi. And I am the same who hideth up the record unto the Lord. The plates thereof are of no worth because the commandment of the Lord for he truly saith that no one shall get have them to get gain, but the record thereof is of great worth, and whosoever shall bring it to light, him will the Lord bless. So these plates were referred to as the golden plates. And the Lord from the very beginning said, nobody will have these plates to get gain. Nobody is going to get these plates and become rich off of these plates. They are not for that purpose. In 15, for none can have power to bring it to light, save it be given him of God. For God wills that it shall be done with an eye single to his glory, or the welfare of the ancient and long dispersed covenant people of the Lord. And blessed be he that shall bring this thing to light. For it shall be brought out of darkness unto light. And he is referring right now to the golden plates being buried and uncovered. And that the Lord has plans. Um, and he has created the means to whereby this record will come to light. So he says... For it shall be brought out of darkness unto light. According to the word of God, yea, it shall be brought out of the earth, and it shall shine forth out of darkness, and come unto the knowledge of the people, and it shall be done by the power of God. And if you know the story of Joseph Smith's first vision, and um, Joseph Smith and how he recovered this ancient record, if you don't know that story, then um, you can find that story in the introduction of the Book of Mormon. It's at the, in the very front of the record. He gives an account of how he uncovered the Book of Mormon and brought it to light. Okay, number 17. And if there be the fault, if there be faults, they be the faults of a man. But behold, we know no faults. Nevertheless, God knoweth all things. Therefore, he that condemneth, let him be aware, lest he shall be in danger of hell fire. And he that saith, show unto me, or ye shall be smitten, let him beware, lest he commandeth that which is forbidden of the Lord. For behold, the same that judgeth, judgeth rashly shall be judged rashly again. And, oh, I'm sorry, for according to his works shall his wages be. Therefore, 
He that smiteth shall be smitten again of the Lord. Behold what the scripture says, man can shall not smite, neither shall he judge. For judgment is mine, saith the Lord, and vengeance is mine also, and I will repay. And he that shall breathe out wrath and strifes against the work of the Lord and against the covenant people of the Lord who are of the house of Israel and shall say, We will destroy the work of the Lord, and the Lord will not remember his covenant which he hath made unto the house of Israel, the same as in danger to be hewn down and cast into the fire. So the Lord is very protective of his book. That's why Moroni, actually Moroni is also reiterating that he wants you to not be judgmental of this book and that he wants you to have an open mind and realize that if there are mistakes, they are the mistakes of a man, but they're not the mistakes of God. And it says further, I think in the upcoming chapter that um, if he could have written in Hebrew, then there would have been no mistakes in the Book of Mormon. But because for the sake of saving space, they wrote it in a reformed Egyptian, and that wasn't their native tongue. And because they did that, there are a few imperfections. But he says, do not judge our imperfections. If we would have been able to write in Hebrew, there would be no imperfection in our record. So um, he's putting that out there. I think he has said that a couple of times now. And that if anybody breathes out wrath and strife against the work of the Lord and his people, that... um, and anybody that says that we're going to destroy the work of the Lord, um, that these people are in danger to be hewn down and cast into the fire. And 22, for the eternal purposes of the Lord shall roll on until all his promises shall be fulfilled. For the eternal purposes of the Lord shall roll on. Nothing is going to stop God from doing the things that he is going to do and accomplish. He has a plan and it's the bigger plan. And we cannot even comprehend the things that God comprehends. So, but whatever his um, doing, he will do whatever he wants to do. He will do it until all his promises shall be fulfilled. Number 23, search the prophecies of Isaiah. Behold, I cannot write them. Yea, behold, I say unto you that those saints who have gone before me, who have possessed this land, shall cry, yea, even from the dust will they cry unto the Lord. And as the Lord liveth, he will remember the covenant which he hath made with them. Heavenly Father knows the things that he has promised, and he will fulfill them. And his 
his uh, purposes will roll forth. And in 24, and he knoweth their prayers, and they were in behalf of their brethren, and he knoweth their faith, for in his name could they move, remove mountains, and in his name could they cause the earth to shake, and by the power of his word did they cause prisons to tumble to the earth, and even the fiery furnace, which... um could not harm them, neither wild beasts or poisonous serpents because of the power of his words. So he's talking about the saints that had died before and the promises that he had made to them. Um, and what great people they were. And in 25, and behold, their prayers were also in behalf of him that the Lord should suffer to bring these things forth. And no one need say they shall not come for they surely shall. For the Lord shall hath spoken it for out of the earth shall they come by the hand of the Lord and none shall stay it. And it shall come in a day when it shall be said that miracles are done away. And it shall come, even as one should speak from the dead. Now they're talking right now and referring to the golden plates, which are, which is the ancient record that I'm reading right now. The ancient record was written in Reformed Egyptian, and it was translated into English. And now it is in... It's translated into so many different languages and it is covering, covering the earth. Um, so right here, they're referring to it, it shall come in a day when it shall be said that miracles are done away. So another thing that the Book of Mormon is a testament to are the miracles that happened in ancient America and that happened today. Okay, so um and it shall come even as one that should speak from the dead, and it shall come in a day when the blood of the saints shall cry unto the Lord because of secret secret combinations and the works of darkness. Yea, and it shall come in a day when the power of God shall be denied and churches become defiled and be lifted up in the pride of their hearts. Yea, even in a day when leaders of churches and teachers shall rise in the pride of their hearts, even to the envying of them who belong to their churches. I don't know if you guys have observed this or seen this, but um, just the other day I was reading on Facebook and um, I am a big part of a photography community, um, and I have been for years. And somebody on there posted, um, and she was just talking about how um, despairing she was feeling lately because of the conditions of the world right now. And she also spake of being very concerned about um, the priests and the things that they were teaching in her church. Um, 
And it made me think of this verse actually. Now, are there good, you know, good priests and good preachers? Yes, there are. Um, there are many people who are believers in Christ that have um, soft hearts and caring and loving hearts and and um, that they respect and honor Christ and teach of Christ. But there are also um, many people out there that will raise up a church to get gain and um, and they have become, they have begun to defile their churches and lift up in the pride of their own hearts. And um, in 29, yea, it shall come in a day when there shall be heard of fires and tempests and vapors of smoke in foreign lands. We have definitely seen that. And there shall also be heard of wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes in diverse places. Yea, it shall come in a day when there shall be great pollutions upon the face of the earth. There shall be murders and robbings and lyings and deceivings and whoredoms and all manner of abominations. When there shall be many who will say, do this or do that. And it mattereth not for the Lord will uphold such at the last day. So a lot of excuses made by people to um, justify the murders, the robbings, the lyings, the deceivings, the whoredoms, the abominations. Um, do this or do that, and it mattereth not, for the Lord will uphold such at the last day. A lot of justification. But woe unto such, for they are in the gall of bitterness and in the bonds of iniquity. And it shall come in a day when there shall be churches built up that shall say, Come unto me, and for your money you shall be forgiven of your sins. And in 33, O ye wicked and perverse and stiff-necked people, why have you built up churches unto yourself to get gain? Why have you transfigured the holy word of God that ye might bring damnation upon your souls? Behold, look ye unto the revelations of God, for behold, the time cometh at that day when all these things must be fulfilled. Behold, the Lord hath shown unto me great and marvelous things concerning that which must shortly come at that day when these things shall come forth among you. Behold, I speak unto you as if ye were present, and yet ye are not. But behold, Jesus Christ, Christ hath shown you unto me, and I know you're doing. Wow, I mean, that is just incredible. I speak unto you as if ye were present, and yet ye are not. But behold, Jesus Christ hath shown you unto me, and I know you're doing. Moroni has seen us. He has seen us in these latter days. And in 36, and I know that you do walk in the pride of your hearts. And there are none save a few only who do not lift themselves up in the pride of their hearts. Unto the wearing of very, ki- very fine apparel. 
unto envies and strifes and malice and persecutions and all manner of iniquities and your churches. Yea, even every one have become polluted because of the pride of your hearts. Wow. Okay, so I'm going to go back one. There are none save a few only who do not lift themselves up in the pride of their hearts. There are only a few people. And for behold, you do love money and your substance and your fine apparel and the adorning of your churches more than you love the poor and the needy and the sick and the afflicted. O ye pollutions, ye hypocrites, ye teachers who sell yourselves for that which will canker, why have ye polluted the holy church of God? Why are ye ashamed to take upon you the name of Christ? Why do you not think that greater is the value of an endless happiness than that misery which never dies because of the praise of the world? The, our money and our substance and our clothes and our adornings of our churches, we are putting that above our desire to help the poor and the needy, the sick and the afflicted. So Moroni is definitely calling us out right here. Why have you polluted the holy church of God? Why are you ashamed to take upon you the name of Christ? Why would we be ashamed to follow after Jesus Christ? Just think about that. Why do you not think that greater is the value of an endless happiness than that misery which never dies because of the praise of the world? Why do you think that's worth it? Just to get the praise of men? Why is that worth it? To sacrifice your happiness and to be miserable 39, why do you adorn yourselves with that which hath no life and yet suffer the hungry and the needy and the naked and the sick and the afflicted to pass by you and notice them not? Oh, wow. Why are we putting everything into... Why are we putting everything into things that have no life instead of giving to the hungry and the needy and the naked and the sick and the afflicted and notice them not? I'm going to tell you a story, actually. 
a couple of days ago, my daughter and I went into um, a thrift store. We were out thrifting. And right before you walk in to the thrift store door, actually, no, 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 it wasn't the thrift store. It was the post office. We were on our way to mail a package. And there was a homeless man sitting just right close to the door. And normally, I have a very big heart for people who are less fortunate. And for some reason, I avoided this man's eye contact. I don't know. I got, I just got the feeling right away. Like, oh my gosh, you know, I, a feeling of my heart did sink. Like I get that initial like feeling and you know, do you make eye contact with them? Cause then I'm going to feel guilty and bad. I don't have any cash to give him. I don't have anything to give him. So maybe just avoid, you know, and not look. And then I went into the post office and my daughter and I came out and she said, mom, both of us feel just horrible when we see somebody that is homeless. And she said, mom, are like, do homeless people want us to look away or do they want us to look at them? And I just thought, oh my gosh, dagger in the heart. I should have just looked and smiled. And instead of feeling my own guilt and just not making eye contact, um, normally that's not how I act. And so I, I, anyways, I explained to her, no, they want to be acknowledged. They don't want to be ignored. They are sons and daughters of God. Also, they want to be seen. And when I just read this, it just, it just made me have a, uh, pit in my gut because I didn't see that man, you know? Um, and it says right here, and yet you suffer the hungry and the needy and the naked and the sick and the afflicted to pass by you and notice them not. Ooh, serious dagger. In 40, yea, why do you build up your secret abominations to get gain and cause that widows should mourn before the Lord and also orphans to mourn before the Lord and also the blood of their fathers and their husbands to cry unto the Lord from the ground for vengeance upon your heads? Why are you creating secret plans and secret transgressions and abominations just to get gain with the world. Just to get more money, more notoriety, more uh, recognition. And at the same time, you're willing to sacrifice the mourning of widows and orphans 
in 41, behold, the sword of vengeance hangeth over you. And the time soon cometh that he avengeth the blood of the saints upon you. For he will not suffer their cries any longer. Wow. Wow. I mean, this is just filled with power. This chapter. Okay, chapter 9. Moroni calls upon those who do not believe in Christ to repent. He proclaims a God of miracles who gives revelations and pours out gifts and signs upon the faithful. Miracles cease because of unbelief. Signs follow those who believe. Men are exhorted to be wise and keep the commandments. This is about 401. Sorry, got a break to let the cat in. (laughs) 401. Oh. Just lost my page to 2180. And and continuing on here with powerful, powerful words from Moroni. And now I speak also concerning those who do not believe in Christ. Behold, will you believe in the day of your visitation? Behold, when the Lord shall come, even that great day when the earth shall be rolled together as a scroll. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Yea, in that great day when ye shall be brought to stand before the Lamb of God. Then will ye say that there is no God? So he has some strong words here for people who do not believe in Christ. Are you going to be, are you going to believe on the day that Jesus Christ comes down out of the clouds Um, And when the earth is rolled together as a scroll and the elements are melting with fervent heat, will you believe then that there is no God? Number three, then will ye longer deny the Christ or can ye behold the Lamb of God? Do you suppose that you shall dwell with him under a consciousness of her guilt? Do you suppose that you could be happy to dwell with that holy being when your souls are racked with a consciousness of guilt that ye have ever abused his laws? Wow. We are all going to have to stand before God and be judged of Christ. Do you think that you're going to dwell with him under a consciousness of your guilt? He knows our hearts right away. There is nothing we are going to be able to hide. There is nothing we will be able to hide. He will see it all. Are we going to want to stand before Jesus Christ knowing that we have all of this sin, this unresolved sin? Number four, 
Behold, I say unto you that ye would be more miserable to dwell with the with a holy and just God under a consciousness of your filthiness before him than ye would to dwell with the damned souls in hell. We would be more miserable under a consciousness of our own filthiness to stand before God than we would to dwell with the damned souls in hell. In five, for behold, when ye shall be brought to see your nakedness before God and also the glory of God and the holiness of Jesus Christ, it will kindle a flame of unquenchable fire upon you. When ye, when you appear in front of Jesus Christ and God, you will be completely vulnerable. That's why they use the word nakedness. You shall be, ye shall be brought to see your nakedness before God and you will see his glory and the holiness of Jesus Christ and it will kindle a flame of unquenchable fire upon you. Oh, then ye unbelieving, turn ye unto the Lord, cry mightily unto the Father in the name of Jesus, that perhaps ye may be found spotless, pure, fair, and white, having been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, at the great and last day. So he is urging and pleading that ye unbelieving turn to the Lord and cry mightily unto the Father in the name of Jesus. Cry mightily unto the Father. Because at that great and last day, there will be no more work to be done. It will be done. This is our time right now to prepare to meet our God. All we have is right now. Because in the last day, there will not be time to perform any labors. That's why it's our time now. In seven, and again, I speak unto you who deny the revelations of God and say that they are done away, that there are no revelations, nor prophecies, nor gifts, nor healing, nor speaking with tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Behold, I say unto you, he that denieth these things knoweth not the gospel of Christ. Yea, he has not read the scriptures. If so, he does not understand them. So if you are denying that there are miracles, if you are denying that God actually communicates with men on earth, if you are denying that there are prophecies or spiritual gifts, if you are denying in the power of healing or the power of speaking in tongues, 
and the interpretation of tongues. Behold, I say unto you, he that denieth these things knoweth not the gospel of Christ. And if you don't believe it, then you don't understand the scriptures, is what he's saying. Because clearly, this, these are the teachings of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Um, number nine, for do we not read that God is the same yesterday and today and yesterday, today and forever. And in him, there are, sorry, and in him, there is no variableness, neither, neither shadow of changing. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. In number 10, and now ye have imagined up under yourselves a God who doeth who doth vary, and in whom there is shadow of changing, and have ye imagined up unto yourselves a God who is not a God of miracles, but behold, I will show unto you a um a God of miracles, even the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and it is that same God who created the heavens and the earth and all things that in them are. Behold, he created Adam, and by Adam came the fall of man, and because of the fall of man came Jesus Christ, even the Father and the Son. And because of Jesus Christ came the redemption of man. And because of the redemption of man, which came by Jesus Christ, they are brought back into the presence of the Lord. Yea, this is wherein all men are redeemed because the death of Christ bringeth to pass the resurrection, which bringeth to pass a redemption from an endless sleep, from which sleep all men shall be awakened by the power of God when the trump shall sound and they shall come forth both small and great and all shall stand before his bar being redeemed and loosed from this eternal band of death, which death is a temporal death. Okay, so Moroni just laid out for us the plan of salvation. This is the reason why Jesus Christ came and suffered in Gethsemane and died on a cross for all of us so that we will be able to be forgiven and be redeemed. That is a lot of information to take in in verse um, 12 and 13. I suggest go back and read it in depth because it it explains the atonement of Jesus Christ. And in 14, And then cometh the judgment of the Holy One upon them, and then cometh the time that, that he that is filthy shall be filthy still, and he that is righteous shall be righteous still. He that is happy shall be happy still, and he that is unhappy shall be unhappy still. Wow. Wow. If you are in a state of filthiness and wickedness, when you die, 
you remain in that state. If you are in a state of righteousness, when you die, you will remain righteous. If you are happy at the time of your death, you shall be happy still. And if you are unhappy, you shall be unhappy still. In 15, and now, O all ye that have imagined up unto yourselves a God who can do no miracles, I would ask of you, have all these things passed of which I have spoken? Has the end come yet? Behold, I say unto you, nay, and God has not ceased to be a God of miracles. Behold, are not the things that God hath wrought marvelous in our eyes? Yea, and who can comprehend the marvelous works of God? Who shall say that it was not a miracle that by his word the heaven and the earth should be? And by the power of his word man was created of the dust of the earth. And by the power of his word have miracles been wrought. And who shall say that Jesus Christ did not do many mighty miracles? And there were many mighty miracles wrought by the hand of the apostles. Why by the hand of the apostles? Because Jesus Christ gave them that power. The power to act in his name. The power of the priesthood to act as... Um, to act as a surrogate, almost. Not as a surrogate, actually. Um, I'm trying to think of the right words here. To to act in God's name. That's it. Plain and simple. Jesus Christ gave that power to the apostles and they then gave that power to others and that power was passed down the power to act in God's name and it can only be given by Jesus Christ and passed down to those who have that power and passed down again and again and again um, by having the proper authority of God to do so. Okay, so he, so that's why many mighty miracles were wrought by the hands of the apostles as well. Sorry, you guys, that that took so long for me to explain 18. I just kind of had a freeze in my brain on how to explain that, but I worked it out. Okay, 19, and if there were miracles wrought then, why has God ceased to be a God of miracles and yet be an unchangeable being? And behold, I say unto you, he changed not. If so, he would cease to be God and he ceaseth not to be God and is a God of miracles. Why is that? Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Number 20, and the reason why he ceaseth to do miracles among the children of men is because that they dwindle in unbelief 
and depart from the right way and know not the God in whom they should trust. Haven't you guys ever heard that where people have said like, God left me, he left me. And I've heard many times, no, he didn't leave you. You left him. Oftentimes when we don't feel like God is close to us um, and we don't feel the love of Jesus Christ in our lives, oftentimes it's because we have stepped away from him. Um, 21, behold, I say unto you that whoso believeth in Christ, doubting nothing, whatsoever he shall ask the Father in the name of Christ, it shall be granted unto him. And this promise is unto all, even unto the ends of the earth. I love that verse. I say unto you that whoso believeth in Christ, doubting nothing, having pure faith, whatsoever he shall ask the Father in the name of Christ, it shall be granted him. And this is a promise that he is making to all the ends of the earth. 22, all we have to do is ask. All we have to do is ask in faith. He wants to help us. He loves us and he wants us to be happy and he wants to give to us, but we have to invite him in and we have to seek him. For behold, thus said Jesus Christ, the son of God unto his disciples who should tarry, yea, also all his disciples in the hearing of the multitude, go ye unto all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And whosoever shall believe in my name, doubting nothing, unto him will I confirm all my words, even unto the ends of the earth. That's the key right there, you guys. Whosoever shall believe in my name, doubting nothing, having faith, Unto him I will confirm all my words. He wants to testify to us. He wants us to know. But we do need to ask and doubt nothing and be believing. In 26, and now behold, who can stand against the works of the Lord? Who can deny his sayings? Who will rise up against the almighty power of the Lord? Who will despise the work of the Lord? Who will despise the children of Christ? Behold, all ye who are despisers of the work of the Lord, for ye shall wonder and perish. O then, despise not and wonder not, 
but hearken unto the words of the Lord and ask the Father in the name of Jesus for that which what thing soever ye shall stand in need. Doubt not, but be believing. And begin as in times of old and come unto the Lord with all of your heart and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling before him. Be wise in the day of your probation. Strip yourselves of all uncleanliness. Ask not that ye may consume it on your lusts, but ask with a firm, with firmness unshaken, that ye yield, ye will yield to the to no temptation, but that ye will serve the true and living God. See that you are not baptized 